Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi there and welcome to the Explaining History podcast and today I want to talk a little bit about the development of American suburbia uh, from the end of the Second World War onwards. This is um, a fascinating um, social transition that happens both in America and in Great Britain and uh, it was something that was ongoing really since the, the 1920s. We always think of suburbia as being a post-World War II development. But to both Britain and America, it's not. In the uh, interwar years, uh, during the 1930s, Metroland um, developed from uh, North London up into uh, Buckinghamshire. And in America, during the 1920s, 17% of Americans lived in suburban uh, conurbations and, and developments. So, what what is suburbia? Well, suburbia is the uh, is a twentieth century uh, phenomena uh, as the development of trains and later automobiles enabled people to move outside towns and cities. Uh, the abundance of cheap fuel and in America particularly cheap land allowed towns to spring up from uh, relatively, virtually out, out of nowhere, and for this to become part of the this kind of intoxicating notion of the American dream, for it to be uh, part of um, the, the promise of uh, America in the 20th century. Bearing in mind that this is a concept predicated on cheap fuel, it certainly did have its limitations, as would be revealed uh, from the 1970s onwards as fuel prices increased. And in lots of uh, plays and books and films uh, about um, suburbia, the um, white picket fences um, and the um, uh, seemingly idyllic mowed lawns of suburbia very often became metaphors for a, a flip side of the American dream, a darker sense um, that it, uh, an, Ameri- an American dream, an American utopia, was on the verge of going badly wrong. You only need to watch the films of people like David Lynch or more recently 
movies like American Beauty or The Virgin Suicides uh, to see that there is this kind of dark undercurrent that runs through discourses surrounding suburbia, but that's been in existence in uh, American novels since the end of the Second World War. So there were already uh, suburbs in America after, um, well, in the interwar years, but the thing that marks out the post-war years is its rapid acceleration. 11 million of the 13 million homes built between 1948 and 1958 were in the suburbs. By 1960, 33% of all Americans were suburbanites. So a third of the entire population had um, either was either living or had moved to the suburbs. And the uh, archetypal, cheap-to-build, affordable and very attractive suburban home was known as the ranch house, uh, which was a a long single-storey building with a double garage, uh, normally two bathrooms, three bedrooms and, and large lawns. Now, the thing about suburbia is that it is uh, you know, often sneered at for its kind of supposed conformity and banality and homogeneity. But most of the people that moved from uh, the inner cities to the suburbs um, enjoyed immensely improved standards of living. Uh, they enjoyed, and this is, this is also true of uh, Great Britain, they uh, generally reported that suburbia was a, a happy and idyllic place that was well ordered, and that family could develop there. And you know, many of the, the kind of the happier memories of people's middle years seem to have been had in suburbia. So, despite what cultural critics have to say, most people really have enjoyed their experience of suburbia. The suburban experience was completed by um, shopping malls and retail developments that were uh, developed outside the city centre and could only be accessed by car. So driving was the uh, and car ownership was the thing that suburbia was built on. And this obviously excludes poorer people, normally poorer black or ethnic minority people. Suburbia in the post-war era was almost exclusively white. Suburbia's response to um, housing shortage. The 1930s during the Great Depression seen little house building, and certainly there'd been little built during the Second World War. Um, it was so acute and so severe that old streetcars were sold to be uh, used as homes in Chicago. Um, by the end of the war, 250 of them had actually been sold to uh, be used as housing. At the end of the war, sees a surge of money into the housing market. You have all these shortages and credit becomes relaxed again, so borrowing is possible. The Federal Housing Administration and the Veterans Administration offered house buyers mortgages up of up to 90%. So these were federally backed mortgages of up to 90% on the value of a home. So there had never been a period of time in the US or probably the history of any other country where home ownership was so encouraged, so supported, so subsidised and so endorsed. And it was an, a bonanza time for uh, American uh, house builders. Now, uh, I think I said in a previous podcast, America in 1945, that the experience um, of the, the post-war American boom is hugely predicated on the actions of, of the state. 
the state, um, you know, unfortunately to disappoint the the uh, wildest imaginings of extreme free marketeers, the state creates the framework in which uh, market activity can um, maximise itself. So the state creates um, the lending conditions, it creates the guarantees that uh, create a, a housing boom, um, and this is all you know vitally needed because there are housing shortages and uh, veterans returning from war, uh, and there is a popular consensus in America that the veterans' sacrifices should be rewarded in some way. And between 1944 and 1952, two and a half million veterans are able to purchase homes with no deposit. A decade after the war, the Federal Housing Administration and the Veterans Administration uh, were providing 41% of all new home mortgages uh, to the uh, to the American public. Suburbia was uh, an awful lot cheaper than uh, urban dwelling. So people that wanted to move out of the city and they um, viewed there being plenty of reasons to move out overcrowded uh, life in cities, crime, growing pollution and that sort of thing. They could actually move to suburbia and pay less money to do so. The increased car ownership makes that possible and there had been um, a, a prolonged period of the building of federal highways. So transport links back into the city for, for when uh, white-collar professionals needed to work was, um, was, was there was a, a great conduit to do so. But there was also a kind of a racial undercurrent to the um, developments of suburbia. More wealthy city dwellers wished to escape their poorer black neighbours, and in some cases their poorer white neighbours too. So there was uh, a, a clear a kind of class um, di differential, differential there as well and they wanted to live in racially and socially homogenous neighbourhoods they wanted neighbours who were people like us you know, wealthy, well-to-do professional types who you could play golf with or uh, meet at the country club and have the social problems of America excluded and taken out of out, out of one's one's vision. And the, the, I suppose the ultimate expression of this now, developing in America and to some extent in the UK, is the gated community, where quite literally a fully privatised society sees security guards keeping the poor at bay. This process uh, of um, suburbanisation and racialized suburbanisation has been referred to as the, the white flight from the inner cities. So because of this polarisation, the, um, the mirror opposite of the white suburb is the inner city black ghetto. The white flight to the suburb was one of two migrations in the 1940s. The migration that precedes it during the war years uh, is referred to as the Great Migration, and actually, it's not exactly a war, a phenomenon of the war years. It had been happening throughout the 20s and 30s. As poor black Americans fled the South, um, they made their way uh, really on up the line of the Mississippi River towards the cities of the Great Lakes and to the, the Northeast. And they um, worked in uh, factories, on production lines. They worked 
uh, as uh, manual labourers, they worked in the service industries, and cities of the north, such as Chicago and Detroit, develop large black populations. This is particularly useful in places like Detroit for the motor industry. Uh, there's no uh, coincidence that the record label that comes out of Detroit is referred to as Motown Records. Detroit had famously always been known as, as Motown. Uh, many of the stars of Motown were found by its uh, talent scout and uh, first uh, founder, Berry Gordy, on the production lines of the great American car industry. Now, the development of black and ethnic minority ghettos was to some extent uh, an issue of personal choice. Uh, you know, black and ethnic minority people uh, liked to live in their own particular ethnic communities, but also it was a great deal to do with white racism. Um, there were very little, very few opportunities to move out, partly because moving to suburbia or to anywhere else more desirable is expensive, but also because um, estate agents would um, refuse to show houses to black uh, or ethnic minority or Latino or sometimes even Jewish uh, American people in predominantly white uh, Anglo-Saxon Protestant neighbourhoods. And also these um, restrictive covenants were introduced. Restrictive covenants were legal agreements across the neighbourhood that black people simply couldn't live there, that only white people um, would, would live there, that white people would be legally restricted under pain of litigation from their neighbours from selling their house to a, a black person. And this is dis described as uh, legally and constitutionally unenforceable by the Supreme Court in 1948, but this is largely ignored um, because there are it is extremely in, extremely difficult to enforce. Banks would very often refuse to lend um, mortgages to uh, black and ethnic minority people. Um, the uh, racist attitudes of uh, developers, of city officials, and uh, other other corporate institutions would discourage. Uh, black people from um, leaving the ghettos. And in 1951, particularly in Cicero, uh, white working class um, uh, rioters um, burnt out uh, from their neighbourhood black families. So some, sometimes even in white working class neighbourhoods and ghettos, there was... Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Racial violence to force blacks into black ghettos to fully um, uh, racially um, uh, racially segregate America. Now, this is interesting because we've we've we have a period from the end of the First World War, and if you look at my uh, podcast on the Red Summer of 1919, you realise there was an immense amount of uh, violence at the end of the First World War, partly because black people had left the South or left their uh, tradition, left their um, communities and started to work all over the country um, and work in all sorts of different roles. Um, and there was an immense amount of violence, really, uh, a kind of a violence of retrenchment to force the black people back to um, where white people thought they belonged, to the social or even the geographical position they thought they belonged in. And there seems to be the same, a similar process happening at the end of World War Two. Black people's status had advanced during the war. They had been able to earn more money, work in better trades, live in uh, more desirable locations and accommodation. And after the Second World War, um, there seems to be uh, an immense amount of violence to force black people into ghettos. This isn't particularly a state-led phenomena. This is a, a kind of a, a grassroots um, social violence. And white people take with them their money. When white people leave the inner cities, they become reluctant to pay state taxes um, to um, redistribute wealth to the inner cities. They vote for representatives who will prevent this process. Um, and the um, challenges and threats of desegregation in the later 1960s um, see w- uh, southern f- um, whites leave um, inner-city um, places uh, such as Birmingham uh, and Atlanta in Georgia. Um, and there was, a, particularly in Atlanta, there's a, a large white flight um, in between 1963 and about 1968. Two entrepreneurs in the um, 1940s were more renowned than anyone else for the creation of the suburbs. Uh, they were the Levitt brothers, and their creations were known as the Levitt Towns. The first became built, came into existence at Hempstead uh, on Long Island in 1947. Um, they were often built for young veterans and their families. Um, and they, Hempstead, for example, had 17,000 homes, 80,000 residents, um, seven village greens, shopping centres, nine swimming pools and two bowling alleys. Um, so it was meant to be um, an entirely new kind of community, one built around um, uh, modern post-war ideas of social planning. The interesting there's an interesting parallel with the development of public housing in Great Britain after the Second World War. Um, the term council estate has been very much demonised now in the uh, in sort of 
popular uh, popular thinking. But the development of council estates and new towns in uh, after the Second World War in Britain were based around very similar kind of utopian uh, notions um, that um, there would be the recreation in kind of brick and concrete of um, villages that had existed before the Industrial Revolution. Obviously, this doesn't really come to pass, but this is part of the thinking, that people would be able to access amenities on foot. There would be, within the community, parades of shops and social clubs and that kind of thing. And you would really make better kinds of people. You would. Um, there's a lot of paternalism in this. Some people in our uh, times in the 21st century now might find this all rather patronising. It was meant with the best of intent that you would really raise the condition of the working man and um, provide him with a nice community around uh, and, and, to, and develop social cohesion. And a lot of it was based on very egalitarian notions. Now, in America, there is a, a, a reasonably equivalent to the spirit of, of egalitarianism, but also it's built on notions of plenty, of abundance, of expanding frontiers, of America going places in the post-war era that could never have been imagined previous to this. I must add that this generally means white America. Because of shortages and because of the popularity of Levitt Homes, there were long queues to buy them. Um, they were uh, fairly cheap, um, normally priced about $8,000, which is two and a half times um, average income. Um, as you contrast that with today's UK house prices and you get a kind of a, a picture about exactly how cheap they were. And they were pretty robust. They were had central heating um, and built-in amenities. Um, and they were normally about twice the size of, of any other home. Um, so this is something that um, Americans had never seen before, had never been treated to before. I mean, the contrast with the Great Depression is, is quite stunning. Um, they, they were spacious, and American families grow accustomed to having spacious homes. The idea of cramped homes is something that is um, an anathema to sort of suburban visions. So suburbia is suffused with ideas of, of American plenty. Um, again, Levitt Towns had no black residents at all. Um, one black American family that did live um, in the Pennsylvania Levitt Town were, um, at, were chased out of town, uh, stones were thrown at them, the uh, federal authorities have to uh, intervene in order to protect them. Um, and the uh, William Levitt himself uh, said of... Um, excluding black uh, people from um, Levitt Towns. He said, I've come to know that if we sell one house to a Negro family, then 90 or 95% of white customers will not buy into the community. That is their attitude, not ours. Now, the Federal Housing Authority had its own racial um, take on um, distribution of wealth. They um, didn't offer uh, loans to applicants who were considered risky, poorer applicants, um, not to suggest that poor whites were excluded, because they certainly weren't, but also applicants who might elicit hostility from um, the white majority. Um, very often they, they refer to them as unharmonious racial or nationality groups, so Ameri uh, black Americans or Jews. Um, 
residential segregation so it became almost unspoken uh, official policy of of the USA um when we talk about um the uh, financial risk posed by loaning money to black americans there was very little done into uh, done in terms of finding out the actual circumstances of black americans so a great many were quite financially solvent but um black was code for uh, unreliable work shy um and all these other um racist notions um and uh, or or feckless or um criminalized in in some way so um the uh, attitude um in terms of housing uh, was uh, across the united states um not just in the south but uh, federally uh was similar to the the jim crow laws of the deep south Federally built highways enabled white people to completely bypass uh, black parts of, of cities. Um, they were ena- they enabled suburbanites to, to be connected to white collar jobs uh, in the city, um, and so it meant that it accelerated the decline of uh, of black areas, uh, leaving them excluded. And there were um, plenty of uh, public housing units, so America's equivalent of, of the, the council house, um, were, were built. But um, urban, remo- urban renewal very often meant the kind of the removal of, of black people from those areas. So you had a process of black communities being uh, torn down and uh, expensive new uh, developments for white people being, uh, being created normally by... Um, corrupt land uh, landowners and developers and um, corrupt city authorities. And so um, the attempt to alleviate that shortage was ineffective. So only, um, only 325,000 federal housing units were built between 1945 and 1965. And many of them were failed developments. And the worst of those failures was the pruitt Igo project in St. Louis. The Pruitt Igo project um, was a famous public housing uh, system that was um, government funded. It was meant to be some kind of public funded utopia. Um, it was um, 33, and so it was a huge, huge um, expanse of 11 storey apartment buildings that, was built, that were built over two years from 1954 to 56. They were high dense, high rise blocks containing 2,800 flats and apartments that could house 10,000 people. There were laundrettes, play areas and um, uh, gardens. But by 1963, um, this um, project had begun to fall apart. Um, The um, Pruitt-Igo buildings seemed to have suffered from epidemics of crime. They were dirty. There was litter, broken windows, um, the elevators broke down, and um, the question was, the, the, the white um, response to this was, well, you give these things to black people and look what they do with them. However, the reality was the buildings were not particularly well designed or planned, and they weren't designed or planned with people in mind to, to live in them. 
particularly people, communities that didn't really know each other, that were flung together. Uh, and um, by 1972, the whole system was described as being an utter failure and was, was torn down. Um, there were there had been too few facilities for people at Pruitt-Igo. It was uh, big. It was alienating, and um, there were there were too many um, vulnerable tenants there. Um, many who were um, sing, single women. There was a, a great deal of sexual violence that was prevalent in the Pruitt-Igo development. Um, and they the things like the electricity and the water had become uh, unreliable, and the there were poor transport links. So that meant that poor, impoverished people became marginalised at Pruitt-Igo and stuck there, um, and were you know people with jobs wouldn't live there; they would live somewhere else. And so it became an island of poverty in St Louis. Um, it is uh, considered when it was con- when it was discussed um, about when postmodernism began. It was argued that the destruction of the Pruitt-Igo building was one of the the moments, uh, one of the, the key cultural moments that signalled the beginning of postmodernism. Why? Because meta-narratives, big stories of progress, of advance, of modernity, for, fell apart with the failure of Pruitt-Igo and the things that the kind of the thing that postmodernism, whatever you, you think that is, thrives on is the rejection of meta narrative and the rejection of big stories and the uh, embracing of chaos and confusion. I suppose. Anyway, postmodernism is a different conversation and one hopefully we never get into. Anyway, I hope you found that interesting and slightly tragic. Um, there is um, a few other podcasts like this um, that I've done. Um, check out America in 1945 and um, the the Red Summer of 1919. Catch you next time on the Explaining History podcast. Thanks for all your support, and we're getting close to that big 100k. We'll be having something of a, a an online party when we do hit 100,000. All the best, guys. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.